My name is Chuck, and I do get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at City Light. Uh, if you're my wife or my mom, you might call me Charles, but I do, prefer, I do prefer Chuck. Now, I've had some people ask me over the last six months or so, um, Chuck, what's it like working with Doug and Eric? And I, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. It's not much different than what you see on Sunday mornings. Like, Doug is the quintessential encourager. So when we come in the office throughout the week, we're getting encouraged and there's crazy amounts of joy, all kinds of stuff going on. And you guys know Eric, right? Like Eric loves to talk. And so when Eric comes up in the office, he's hanging out with us, he's chatting. And through the course of the conversation, you just know that this guy actually really cares for you. Not, for you. He's not just wasting time just trying to do what he's supposed to do. So it's a privilege being one of the pastors on staff here and being able to serve with Doug and Eric and the rest of the team. Um, let's get started this morning. I thought I'd start off with a, a story about my friend Kim. Now Kim used to live across the road from us when we lived out in the country and um, she would come over to the house and hang out with my wife Jen who would, um, they would chat and just kind of have a, a good time. And eventually they started bringing, she started bringing her grandkids over and they would swim in the pool. They would just kind of hang out and play with some toys. And Jen invited Kim to our worship gatherings and to City Group. And Kim started coming. Kim was hearing the gospel week after week after week. And um, so we do communion here. We receive communion every week here at City Light. And Kim began to ask questions, what is communion about? And so Jen explained to her that the bread, it represents the body of Christ and how it was torn and broken for us. And then how the blood that Jesus shed on the cross was shed to cover our sins. And she began to talk about what all of this means. And she told Kim that if you believe this, you can receive communion. You know what Kim said? Kim said, oh, I believe that. That makes sense. And so then she started asking questions about baptism. And Jen, ben, we, get, we began to explain to her what baptism is and that it's a, uh, it's a picture of what Christ did for us, is death, burial, and resurrection. And so a few months ago, Kim arranged for all of her family to be here, and she was baptized just over here on the stage with all of her family watching. Now, the point of the story is that the gospel was shared and Kim believed. That's how it works, right? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes it's like when I was hanging out with my friend a few months ago, and we were just kind of talking about life, and he was expressing how that, you know, life is just not quite what he thought it would be at his age. He thought there was going to be more to it, that there was going to be more meaning to life. And so he was talking about how mundane it was, and it wasn't a terrible life. He doesn't have a terrible life. He's got, he makes great money, has a great family, but he's just talking about how that there's got to be more than what this life has to offer. And so over the course of a few hours, I began to share the gospel with him and talk about the story of what Jesus did. And I tried to 
mention to him and try to talk to him that, hey, these things that you've been hoping for, you know, these, all these nice things that you've got and these things that you've been dreaming of that you finally realized, they're not meant to satisfy you. Only Jesus can satisfy you. So it got kind of awkward for a minute. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been there when, like, there's this awkward silence and you're just waiting for the next person to say something. Well, it kind of got awkward, and I said, so what do you think? And he said, you know what, Chuck? That sounds good, but it's not for me. Thanks anyway. That's it. Thanks, Chuck. It's not for me, but thanks anyway. He responded with, I don't think that's for me, Chuck, but thanks. Um, The gospel was shared, but my friend didn't believe. Now, the reality is, is that the gospel is good news for both Kim and for my friend, but only Kim believed that it was good news. My friend didn't. The gospel is good news for some, but for others, they reject it. I love the simplicity of how Jesus works. In Acts, he said, wait on the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. And people began doing what witnesses do, and they talked about what happened. They shared the gospel. They shared the good news that God saved sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And people believed that message, and they were baptized. Some people believe when you share the gospel. That's how it started here at City Light. We simply started by sharing the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And people believe, and they have been baptized. Over 60 people have believed. They've realized that there's a Savior to believe in. Others have understood that even though that they've been hurt and maybe rejected, um, but they, they, they found that there's a family to belong to. And still others, they want to join in on what God is doing, and so they found that there's a mission to be a part of. What we found to be true in the first ever church plant in Acts is also true in this church plant here at City Light. Some people believe when you share the gospel but others reject it. In fact, that's what we see here in Acts 17. Um, Paul shares the gospel, the good news that, that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And some people believe in Acts 17, but there's that some people that don't. The synagogue, Paul goes into the synagogue in this town called Thessalonica. They do what they've always done. The first place they always go is the synagogue. Paul goes into the synagogue and he begins to talk about the gospel, about who Jesus is. Now, the synagogue, it's the place where people who follow Judaism, it's where they go to worship. Now, there were mostly ethnic Jews in this place, and there were some people that were non-ethnic Jews who just kind of hung around, and the Bible calls them um, devout Greeks. So Paul, being an ethnic Jew, is in a familiar place with people that he can totally relate to because it hasn't been too, too long since he's been in those same shoes. Now, people who practice Judaism, they've hoped for thousands of years that their Messiah would come. 
The Messiah was also referred to the, as the Christ, like it's referred to here in Acts 17. This Christ, this Messiah, it was the chosen one. It was, he was the, the one that everyone hoped for. He was the one that everybody was pinning the, their hopes on. He was going to bring redemption. He was going to bring restoration. He was going to bring relief from the oppression that they were experiencing as a people for all these years. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for a future king that would restore all things, someone that they could put all of their hope in. That's not much different than what we do today, is it? Like, we don't call the places that we go synagogues. We call them polling places or stadiums. And we don't call what we're trying to accomplish the Messiah, but we do call it maybe a particular candidate or maybe a particular party. Or maybe it's that sports team that we hope is going to win that's going to give us hope and significance. We may not be waiting for deliverance from oppression or a king that we can reign with, but we could be looking for hope and significance in those things. So Paul would go into these synagogues and he would show them um, that what they were looking for in the Christ was actually who Jesus is. The good news for those in the synagogue was that Jesus is what they were waiting for. The Bible tells us in verse number four that there were some people who believed. Let's take a look at it. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Then look at verses 11 and 12. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, what church? Believed. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. It's, as Paul explained the good news um, of the gospel to these ethnic Jews, it's like light bulbs were going on. People began to understand. They were like, yes, I get it now. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one that we've been hoping for. It's kind of like, I don't know if you take pictures or not. We take a lot of pictures in our family. And it's kind of like when you're behind the camera and you're focusing that camera and everything comes in to perfect focus. Have you ever had that experience? Or maybe if you're a golfer, Maybe it's when you take that swing and you hit the ball just right and you hit that perfect uh, ball up over the tree and it lands on to the green. You're like, oh man, that's what it feels like. Or maybe if you're a, a teacher, you've been teaching on a concept for week after week after week and you look at that student and something in their eyes says, oh, I get it now. Or maybe... If you're the student, the teacher has been teaching on that thing for week after week after week, and you're sitting there, and you're like, oh, stink. That makes sense. See, that's kind of what it's like. That's kind of what these Jews, these ethnic Jews were experiencing. Oh, I get that now. But not everyone believed, did they? Not everyone understood. Not everyone uh, believed what Paul was saying. 
The Bible tells us in verse 5 that some people were jealous and actually formed a mob and chased Paul and those who were with him out of town. So Paul and his team, they left Thessalonica and they went to this city called Berea. And what do they do there? They do the same thing that they did in Thessalonica. We're just going to go to the synagogue and we're going to tell people about who Jesus is. And so as they're in the synagogue in Berea telling people who Jesus is, this crew from Thessalonica find out what they're doing. They chase them out of Thessalonica. Now they come into Berea, make a beeline and make a hard time for Paul and his team. So do you see what happened? The gospel is good news for some and they believe. But for others, they reject it. After Paul is chased out of Berea, he finds himself in Athens. And it's probably one of the most famous cities in the world. Paul's in this metropolis. And it's a place for, that's known for the many, many gods that they worship. And from what I gather, you could probably be walking down the street and see idol after idol, uh, statue after statue that has a particular God's name on it, and people worship these gods. In Athenian culture, there were so many gods, and in an effort to ensure that they did not miss one and suffer the consequences for not honoring that God, these People in Athens had a God that's, it was an altar to the unknown God, just in case they missed someone. Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. His spirit was provoked. As he looked on all of these gods, it moved him. Paul was a man of action, and he couldn't just sit by and watch these people uh, pursue all of these gods, fearing that maybe they've missed one, and understanding that they might face judgment because of something that they did or didn't do. Maybe this God was going to be angry at them. Maybe this God was going to take it out on them. Maybe they did something the night before, last night, last year, last week, whatever, that they missed out on worshiping this God or sacrificing to this God, and they were going to face the consequences. That moved Paul to action. So what does he do? He goes in to the synagogues where he normally goes. There was one in Athens, and he begins to talk about the gospel. He's with people that he can relate to, and he is um, talking about a message that he's familiar with. Now, only this time, there were some in this synagogue that wanted to hear more. They weren't like ethnic Jews. They were the uh, philosophers. The Bible calls them Epicureans and Stoics. And they take him to a place called the Areopagus. And he's now with these, uh, in this unfamiliar place. He's no longer in the synagogue. He's in this unfamiliar place called the Areopagus. And he's with these people that he may not relate a whole lot to. But what does he do again? He talks about Jesus. He shares the gospel, the good news that Jesus died, that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the good news for those in the Areopagus is that Jesus is who you've been searching for. In the synagogue, the good news was Jesus is who you've been waiting for. 
As he goes to the Areopagus, it's Jesus is the good news that you've been searching for. He shares the good news of the gospel. So let's look at verse number 22. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Let's skip down to verse number 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul says, hey, I see that you want to know God. Rather than believing that there is nothing out there, you believe that there is something out there, so you've made up, a, uh, you've made up uh, in an effort to try to please these gods. you made up all of these gods to try to, to, to pursue them, to try to please them. You're searching for a God that you want to please that won't hurt you or take his anger out on you or make you pay for something bad that you did last night or last week or last year. Paul tells them that the good news is that Jesus is who you've been searching for. So how did these philosophers respond? What did they say? Well, Doug read it just a little bit ago. Some mocked. Some wanted to hear more, but then some believed. Some believed. Do you see it? The gospel is good news that some will believe, but that others will reject. What we see happen in Thessalonica and Berea and Athens, it's the same thing that happens in Jerusalem and Samaria and Damascus and um, Caesarea. The gospel, the good news of the gospel was being shared. Some people rejected it, but some people believed. The gospel was being shared with religious, the religious people and murderers. It was being shared with outsiders and insiders, men and women, rich and poor, insignificant and influential. The gospel was being shared and it was being believed by some, but it was being rejected by others. Let me ask you, how do you respond to the gospel? The truth is, is that even though we're century, centuries removed from like synagogues and the Areopagus, there's still, we're still like searching and waiting. Most of us are waiting and searching. Maybe you've been waiting on that dream job that you hoped would would like be the ultimate job that would satisfy you. 
and you find out that it, did, it, it doesn't. Maybe, maybe you've been waiting on that guy or that gal that, was, that you thought was the answer to everything that you needed, and he ended up being or she ended up being that person that has a smelly breath in the morning. <laughs> Or maybe they leave their dirty laundry on the floor. So that's not what you thought it was either. Or maybe you're like me where you've searched for comfort and rest in things like food and Netflix and cool toys only to find out that they leave you fat, lazy, and broke. Maybe that's you. The good news is, is that Jesus is what you've been waiting for. He's what you've been searching for, and I want to invite you this morning to trust him. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did it for you. And then C, commit your life to Christ. It's as easy as ABC. Now, maybe you've already trusted Jesus. If you've trusted Jesus, that is good. So I want to ask you, how do you, how do we as a group, as a church, share the gospel? The gospel is the good news that some will believe and that others will reject. But for someone to believe that gospel, it has to be shared. For someone to say, hey, Chuck, that's all cool, but it's not for me. It's got to be talked about. So how do we do that? How do we share the gospel? How do we share the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Some of the most powerful ways that I've heard the gospel shared is through story. Now, our city group, is we're sharing our stories right now with one another. And it's been awesome. A lot of people will start by talking about what their life was like before Christ. And you guys may know Tim. He's the cool guy with the fedora. He shared his story with us the other day. And I'm not going to tell his story, but I will tell you this. That Tim searched for significance and meaning in a lot of the ways that our world, our culture has to offer. He shared about what his life was like before Christ. Uh, he gave Christ complete control of it. And then after you talk about what your life was like before you trusted Jesus, share about how you received Jesus. And please don't think that it's got to be like a dramatic event. It could be like my friend Kelly. I was talking to her the other day, and she talked about how that she, um, her experience was that she just started coming to City Light. And she started to believe the gospel more and more, and her life began to change more and more. It's as simple as that. And then maybe um, you could talk about how your life is different since you've been walking with Jesus. Like my friend Kevin. Kevin, he was a bit of a partier before he came to Christ. And he shared the other day about how that now that he is in Christ, now that he's been walking with Christ and that he gave Christ complete control of his life, He's a, he's a father of three, trying to teach them about who Jesus is. He's a, a man who is pursuing his wife and loves his, his wife. That's what his life has been like since he came to know Christ. Jesus changed these three people, and they all have a story, and they tell how it happened. If you've trusted Christ, you have a story. It's one of the most powerful ways that you can share the gospel. 
Now, we all have a story. And mine goes something like this. My biological father, he was not a nice man. My mom uh, could no longer live with him. And when I was about four years old, um, they divorced. She worked really, really hard to put food on the table for my brothers and sisters and I. And after a, a period of time, she met a man whose name was Bob Kaiser, whose name is Bob Kaiser. And he asked her to marry him, and eventually they got married. And my dad adopted, Bob Kaiser adopted my little sister and I, and um, we began life together as a new family. Well, my new dad, Bob, he had a house, in uh, a lake house up in Indian Lake, Ohio, and we would go up there on the weekends, and we just kind of hang out and, and fish and boat, do some swimming, just those types of fun things. And um, what ended up happening is that somebody from the local Nazarene church came by, knocked on our door, and they said, hey, we would love to take your kids to Sunday school. And my mom and dad, they saw a great opportunity for free babysitting on Sunday morning. <laughs> And so they said, sure, come get him. Well, there were some Sundays that I went, some Sundays that I didn't. But eventually, I met a friend of mine. His name is Tarl. And Tarl invited me to a church camp when I was 14 years old. And I went mainly because of the sports and for the fun and all those types of things. But one thing I remember is on the last night, there was a preacher up on stage. And he told me how my sin separates me from God. But that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus did that for you. And your sin could be taken care of. And you could go to heaven forever and be with God. Well, that night, I went and I accepted Christ, and I prayed to receive Christ, and my family tree was changed forever. I quit walking around with a chip on my shoulder because of the daddy issues that I had. I always thought I had something to prove, and that went away. I, there was a, a neighborhood church in the city that I grew up in called Dayton, and I began to, do, uh, began to go to church there. And then I began to do this really thing, this thing that I thought was really weird. I began to pray. And uh, my life just began to be changed. And I, I began to grow in my experience and in my relationship with Jesus. And I was thinking about this the other day, that right now I'm 46 years old. I'm about the same age that my biological dad was when he and my mom split up. But because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm not looking for answers at the bottom of a bottle like he was. That's why I say that Jesus changed my life. He changed my family tree, folks, because my life would be way different than if I had never heard the message of the gospel and believed that what Christ did, he did for me. Now, that's my story. You all have a story. I've shared that story dozens of times with family and friends and with neighbors and coworkers. And what happens is some people believe. Some people believe and they begin to walk with Jesus. Some people look at me a little weird and they say, no thanks, Chuck. That's not for me. That's okay. That's okay. City Light, this week, you have a story. If you know Jesus, 
You have a story. Let's go share it. Let's talk about it. Can we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for the dozens and dozens of stories that are represented in this room right now. Lives that you've changed because of the gospel, because of what you did for them on the cross, Father. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, and I ask God that this morning, if there's someone in here who that's not their story, God, I pray that they would admit that they're a sinner, that they would believe that what you did on the cross, you did it for them, and that they would commit their life to you. Would you do that this morning, Father? Would you save some people? Would you change some stories? Would you change some family trees? We ask these things in your name. Amen.